You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.weareredwood.org. We pray that the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Let's take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians 9. The series in which we are going to embark upon is something that I have been been praying about for months and months and months, meaning just, you know, when to kind of bring about um, some of uh, the things that we will talk about in this series. But then also it's perfect to come off of the heels of the series in which we've just been in for the last, uh, I would say, about three months. And um, so I've entitled the series this, For the Gospel's Sake. For the Gospel's Sake. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend several weeks in 1 Corinthians 9 breaking down, a, breaking down a text that I believe will be very helpful for us. So our first lesson is, I've entitled this, and, I, and I, um, it's, it's in... It's a, it's a form of a question. Did Paul contextualize? Did Paul contextualize? I will define what that word means here in a few minutes. Did Paul contextualize? Look at verse number nine of 19, excuse me, of 1 Corinthians 9. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I may gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. Verse 22, to the weak Became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. There are a lot of, a lot of assumptions that come up often in discussions about the gospel, about evangelism, about churches, styles of churches, church planting, and how sometimes they function, how sometimes they look and sound. I had a conversation this week with a pastor that has, he shared all types of concerns for particular churches that are being planted and we are um, in awareness or awareness of all the the same churches and was just kind of going off on a litany of different reasons why he was all concerned about some other some other local church and things like that and the way that I somewhat pushed back on that was in that this particular person that I spoke to 
ultimately will give an answer only for the church in which he is overseen and basically to not worry so much and give so much thought and concern and angst and even criticism towards some other um, type of ministry. And so the assumptions come across in statements like this. You have got to engage the culture to reach the culture. If you hope to reach your culture for the gospel, you have got to become all things to all people. And that, of course, comes from the text in which I just read, verse 22. Look there again. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And so for the next several weeks leading up uh, to Easter, we're going to look at what, and I'm going to say this, what I believe Paul really meant by all things to all people. So let's kind of take that, let's take that first thought, all things to all men. The notion that the church must become like the world to win the world has definitely taken evangelism or the evangelicalism kind of uh, by storm. Virtually every modern worldly attraction, so to speak, when I just mean worldly, I don't, I don't mean sinful, just kind of just like just a non, like more like a secular way of doing things, um, has a Christian counterpart, right? So nothing wrong with motorcycle riding or anything like that, but you've got Christian motorcyclists, right? You've got Christian bodybuilding teams. You have Christian dance clubs. You have Christian amusement parks. If you go to Florida, you can uh, go to the, the, the Holy Land. I think it's called the Holy Land Amusement Park and uh, something like that. Uh, believe it or not, a couple months ago in the Christianity Today, I read about a Christian nudist colony. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Christian nudist colony. So where did Christians get the idea that we would win the world by imitating it? And so I've got a couple, I've got several questions for you that I desire to answer throughout this series. And I'm going to review a lot next week because I think we're missing um, um, some folks today, whether that be from uh, just they're, they're doing it for their safety or we lost an hour of sleep, okay, whatever the case is. But is there biblical justification for that kind of thinking? Was the Apostle Paul suggesting that the gospel message can be made to appeal to people by accommodating their lifestyle. How far do you suppose Paul would have been willing to go with the principle of contextualization? Is the text in which we've read a mandate for pragmatism in ministry? Here's what the word pragmatism would mean. Is that the results are what we're for and so the means in which we get those results are all good. In other words, we're for a pragmatic way of doing it is, is, we're, is we're always looking kind of at the end. You know, what is, what is the result of this? And so the result of a statement like, if we don't trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, you will spend eternity in hell. If you look at the end of that, when well, people don't want to hear that. And so, I'm not going to say that. 
So that would kind of be an example maybe of a pragmatic approach of where you would look at the end of something and the results oriented um, in is this text promoting that. And the idea of what contextualization would be is obviously you take the context in which you are in and you adapt your message to the context in which you are in. You adapt maybe even your approach with the message in the context in which you were in. So that's what the word contextualization would mean. And so how, how far would, would, would Paul have gone? Was he suggesting that the gospel message can be shaped to whoever the audience was? And so let's spend some weeks in it and we're going to make a huge distinction between some things. And here's where we're going to start this morning. All right. The great non-negotiable. Turn to Galatians 1. We're going to come back to our text here, but turn to Galatians 1. The great non-negotiable. In other words, we're not negotiating on this. This much is clear when we're talking about the Apostle Paul is that he was no people pleaser. Look at verse Galatians 1. Look at verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. What? Paul just said to the church of Corinth, man, I become all things to all people. And yet he's saying he's not here to, to please men. Now, and you understand the context of Galatians. They had brought in uh, the law for uh, a lot of for sanctification, things like that. They had brought in that you had to be circumcised, you know, to fully sanct- you know, to be saved and to uh, part of the sanctification process and things like that. And so Paul did not amend or abridge his message to make people happy. He was, he was unwilling to try to remove the offense that the gospel naturally brings. Turn to Galatians 5, verse 11. Galatians 5, verse 11. Again, this is Paul has come to the church of Galatia. They've, they, they, they've kind of gone back to some of the ritualism. And he's like, man, you, begot, you, you started this thing by faith. You're going to finish it by the law? And so he's correcting them throughout the whole um, book of Galatians. Verse number 11 of Galatians 5. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So Paul's goal was never to be less offensive, in a sense, with the gospel message, with the truth of the word or the truth of the gospel. So he did not use methodology that catered to the lusts of his listeners. They wanted to hear, hey, everything we're doing is okay. You can stay in your ritualistic way of doing things, and yet he is saying, no, 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 no. Christ is, uh, Christ is the answer, and it was very, very offensive. He certainly didn't allow the pragmatic philosophy of a modern market-driven ministries that you and I definitely see today, and no doubt there was even uh, those in his day, but you and I can see it today where they look at the end and they say, how, how, big of a, how big of a crowd can I get? 
and there was a particular uh, big church. Um, they kind of have campuses kind of all over, and it's called, they're called Life Church, okay? And they have a very pragmatic way of kind of a mantra, and they say this, as close to sin as possible without sinning. That's what they say all the time. As close to sin as possible without sinning, all right? And so that would be somewhat of a pragmatic way of doing ministry or doing gospel ministries. That you look at the end, what could, what, could, what could grow it as fast as it possibly can? And then those are the means in which they would use. That's kind of what pragmatism means. So what made Paul effective? Well, it wasn't his marketing savvy, but it was a devotion to the truth. He was Christ's ambassador. He, he was not his press secretary. Do you know what I mean by that? He didn't just spin everything to, to make everybody, uh, you know, just uh, make, it more, make it more palatable. Truth was something to be declared, not negotiated. The Apostle Paul, he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, right? Romans 1.16 tells us that. It's the power of God and the salvation of the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he wasn't ashamed of that. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11 real quick, please. 2 Corinthians 11, kind of just setting up this series for us. He was willing to suffer for the truth's sake. Verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. And laborers more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys oft, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among fellow brethren. In weariness and painfulness and watching often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily that the care of all the churches. And so Paul, Paul didn't back down based on, based on the opposition even though he was going to be rejected and he so often was re- rejected. Paul did not compromise with unbelievers, just with the truth. He didn't just compromise the gospel. He didn't compromise the truth just so he wouldn't make enemies. No, he was making a whole lot of enemies by sharing the unadulterated truth of the gospel. And so that's, so the message, the gospel, the truth of the word, it was always with the Apostle Paul a non-negotiable. In the same chapter and when he, when he spoke of being all things to all men, Paul wrote this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9 again, please. Verse 16. My prayer is the next 15 minutes or so we'll kind of we'll see where we're headed with this, with this series. So Paul wrote, same chapter, for the, verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not 
the gospel. And so Paul's ministry was in response to this divine mandate that was given to him. God had called him. God had commissioned him. Paul preached the gospel as exactly as he had received it directly from the Lord. Turn to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He gives indication of what he would do first as he kind of came and when he was delivering a message to people, it was, it, was a, it was of first importance. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse number 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And so the Apostle Paul, he wasn't a salesman. He wasn't a marketing guru. Now, that does, that, does that mean that we can't, I'm actually getting ahead of myself, but you can, you can do means, but his message, he didn't market his message. He didn't change his message. He didn't take a poll. How many of you like the idea of hell? Right? None of us do. So I'm going uh, to eliminate that out of, you know, my vernacular and things like that. No, 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 he, he didn't do that. He would always, he, he would preach the truth. He wasn't willing to shape his communication to accommodate the desirable response of the listener. That's what pragmatism would be. You look at what, what does the listener desire, and so then I am going to deliver in such a way that they will enjoy the message. The fact that he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra in Acts 14, the fact that he was beaten in prison and finally killed for the truth's sake, ought to demonstrate that he did not adapt the message to make it pleasing to his hearers. And he personally suffered as he bore this ministry that he had, and he was willing to do it uh, for the cause of Christ. And so what did Paul mean? When he wrote this, turn back to the text. Look at verse 22 again. So what did he mean? Man, he wasn't, he wasn't willing to change. Well, he wasn't willing to change his message. Wasn't willing to change the truth. Verse number 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this do for the gospel's sake. That's the title of the series, For the Gospel's Sake. And so what did, what did Paul mean when he said that? Well, as always, context is king. Let's look into the context. Let's, let's read the text again. All right, look at verse number 19. For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. So in other words, he was willing to put himself under that. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law of God or under the law of Christ. In other words, he was willing to, all right, hey, hey, let, 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 let's, let's take a different approach here. That I might gain them that are without law. 
To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And so context, the first sentence in this text shows clearly what Paul was talking about. Look at it again. For though I be free from all men, here's what Paul says, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Paul was not describing his willingness to sacrifice the message. His willingness was to sacrifice himself to preach the message. He would give up everything, even become a servant. It also can be translated a slave to all if that would promote the spread of an unadulterated gospel. Never changed the message. His desire, listen, his desire was to, was to win souls to Christ. I mean, it's repeated over and over again that I might win some, that I might win Jews, that I might win those that are under the law, those that are without the law. He's like, hey, hey, that I can win the more. The more, the merrier. So winning people to Christ, it was his one objective. But in order to do that, Paul was willing to give up all of his rights, all of his privileges, his position, his rank, his livelihood, his freedom, and ultimately, even his life. If it would further spread the gospel, the unadulterated gospel doesn't change ever the truth, Paul would claim no rights. Listen to me. He'd make no demands, and he would insist on no privileges. And that is precisely how Paul lived And how he ministered. Not that he would change or modify the message to suit the world, but that he would behave so that personally he would never be an obstacle to anyone hearing and understanding the message of God. He was describing, listen to me, an attitude of personal sacrifice. That's what he was willing to do. Let me give you an example of this at Redwood. On a regular basis, and when I say regular, I mean regular. Now you can define what regular is, but it's often. I will have people come to me and they will say, Pastor, Pastor Ryan, Ryan, wherever you call me, it's all good. Can we sing more hymns? And then I'll have people come to me and they'll say, Pastor, Pastor Ryan, Ryan, whatever they call me, it's all good, I mean it. Can we sing more modern songs? And I just can't win, Matt. 
So some will say, hey, more hymns. And some will say, are we okay? It's, it's, it's all right, right? I'm just trying to give you a real life illustration. And if you think this is uncomfortable, give me like three minutes, okay? We, and, and so it's like, we want this and, 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 and we want this. So what we try to do is be led of the Holy Spirit, be led of the Lord, and we try to have a nice mixture here. So often on Sundays we sing five songs. Today we're only going to sing three because we have a business meeting, okay? But normally we sing five songs. And those five songs are a collection of oftentimes two hymns, three modern, or three hymns and two modern. A nice mixture. Some churches do like a traditional service and a, you know, a modern service. Again, I, I'm not saying that we are better than them. I just like the mixture of it. I love having a generation that might cling more to the hymns. And listen, someone could be 16 and still like that too. So I'm not trying to only be like, you know, gentrifying this. But often, you know, I think we need the generation that, 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 that desires that. And then I think we also need a generation that that, that, that desires new, you know, music. So let me, let me do this. Here's what we're singing today. Uh, today we are, let me look at my order of service here real quick. We okay? All right. Okay. I do have a point here, I promise. Our order of service is more about Jesus. Behold our God and his mercy is more. So today is one hymn, two modern songs. And so the... Man, I wish our whole church was here right now, but it's okay. So we have our hymn, and everyone's like, yeah! We're in a Baptist church, right? Okay, we sing hymns, okay? All right, let me read the words for Behold Our God. Paul told us to speak to ourselves in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Real quick, real quick. Psalms, Paul was, I, Paul was validating all of the Psalms when he said that. Speak to yourselves in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He was validating, hey, all the Psalms, which was basically like, like, like their psalm book, so to speak. All right, he was validating all of those. And some of those we don't like. Meaning some of those psalms, they like repeat the same words all the time. Some of those songs have instruments that, you know, right? It's more than a piano in those. And so psalms, he was validating those. And then hymns, hymns would be more of your doctrinal truth, rich, rich, rich truth in those songs. And then the spiritual songs is going to be the one that more, see, we're body, soul, and spirit. It's going to be more of the emotional seat of your heart, of who you are. There's some songs that bring great adoration unto God. That's going to be your psalms and hymns, right? And then your spiritual song is going to be that song that kind of gives you a hug. Do you ever have some of those? It's just like awesome. I'll never forget when we played, Dave's back there at, at your wife's funeral, and we played um, a song, I Can Only Imagine. It's just kind of, mmm. Makes you a spiritual song. And we obviously want those spiritual songs to be, you know, biblically accurate as well. But here's Behold Our God today. We, we, we still okay? I feel like my face is getting a little bit redder, but it's all right. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Well, it's not a direct quote from Scripture, but it's absolutely what the Bible tells us. Who has numbered every grain of sand? God knows that. Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God, here's the chorus, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Who has given counsel to the Lord? I mean, this is talking about like he's like literally things from Job 
right? Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Why? Because he's above all of that. Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Who has felt the nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humbled to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. Boom. Awesome song. You know what that would be? Don't. It's okay. It's not in the book, but it would be a hymn. That would be a hymn. Doctrinal truth that's coming from the Word of God. Brings adoration unto God. All right? Next song we're going to sing is then, His Mercy is More. His Mercy is More. So what love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing. That's what that word means, all-knowing. He counts not their sum. So God knows everything. But he chooses to not remember your sin. We know that, right? And what does he do? Throws them into the sea without bottom or shore. What does the Bible say? Takes your sins and he buries them in the depths of the sea. Other texts would say he takes your sin and he separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. And so God, who knows everything, chooses in his sovereignty and in his power not to define you any longer by your sin. Hallelujah for that. Okay, I'm just getting a little worked up here. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morning. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Next verse. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? God is so patient for us. He's not willing that any should perish, Peter tells us. He's long-suffering toward us. What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Aren't you glad you didn't have to strengthen up to get saved? No, no, you actually had to become weak. You had to acknowledge that weakness so that you could gain his strength. Our sins there are many, his mercy is more. Verse 3, which, what riches of kindness he lavishes on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. Who stood neath a debt we could never afford. Man, I'm going to talk about that at 11 here. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Those are great songs. I read this quote this week. It's by Bob Coughlin. He's from Sovereign Grace. Let this, let, let this sink in. Music is great. Jesus is greater. We ready for it now? I, I told you it was going to be three minutes. It was more like eight minutes, sorry. Demanding music to be your preferred style so you can worship God is making music your mediator between you and God, and that is flat-out idolatry. He goes on. Some Christians need to jam out. Others need hymn books only. Both are idolatry. We okay with that? So Jesus, Jesus is our mediator. So sometimes as a pastor, I feel these comments and questions. By the way, you are so welcome to have those with me. 
conversations. I don't want you to just be like, okay, no, 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 no. This is, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you to not have those. I'm not trying to get you to not have a sweet spirit and say, hey, hey, you know, something here is concerning me. No, no, no. Those are wonderful, good conversations. But as a pastor and as a, and as a church, sometimes we, we, we feel this dynamic of some that are requiring this to worship God. And I'm like, no. And then others are like, we have to have this. We have to have this atmosphere and this lighting. No. You could be in a pitch black dark room and worship God. This is a, a room filled with the church. Right? We didn't fill the church. This room is simply filled with the church. And you and I, we can worship God everywhere. And so Paul, again, I'm going to kind of get ahead of myself of the series, but Paul would never alter the clear and confrontative, I don't even know that's a word, but it's right here. I don't think it is, but it sounded good in my head. The call to repentance and faith. He would never change that. He would never change that Jesus is the only way. And that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. He would never do that. Here's what Paul was doing. Paul was making the point that Christian liberty must be circumcised by love. That's what he was saying here. And this is the whole, this is the whole theme of 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Now we're going to predominantly stay in, in 9, but that is the theme of 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. It is the context, which is so often just ripped out, of where these verses are found. So the Corinthians, they were, they were evidently debating about the nature and extent of Christian freedom. Some wanted to use their liberty to do whatever they desired. Others leaned towards legalism, begrudging those who enjoyed their liberty in Christ. Man, that was our last series, right? So it's a perfect dovetail into that. Paul was reminding both groups that Christian freedom is to be used to glorify God and to serve others. Turn to Galatians 5 real quick. Galatians 5. Turn back there, please. Oh, man. It's already 1047. I started too late. My bad. Look at verse number 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, it's not about you. Your liberty is not about you. So often our liberty, we make it about us. Hey, I can do this. I can say this. I can listen to this. I can go here. I can drink this. I can eat this. That's so often what we make our liberty about. But what does Paul say? Don't use it as an occasion for the flesh. In other words, just for yourself and your own desires. But by love, serve one another. So here's an example of how that principle played out. Some of the Christians apparently had asked Paul whether they were free to eat meat that was offered to idols. That's the beginning of our context of chapter 9 would be chapter 8, verse number 1. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. So in other words, again, Paul is getting ready to go on this dissertation here of, hey, listen, you can have Christian liberty, but you need to circumcise that with love. It's got to be done in charity. It's got to be done in love. So what happened is, is these meats would be collected after they'd been offered to an idol. And they were super cheap, right? They were just so much cheaper. And so they were wondering, like, hey, can I eat those? Some said no, some, you know, a lot of our last series. But Paul told them there's nothing wrong with eating that meat. 
However, if you are with somebody and you know that that is going to be offensive to them, serve them. Don't serve yourself. In other words, don't say, well, bless God, I can do this. Yes, you can. But if you know that that's going to be a stumbling block to somebody, guess what Paul would say? I'm going to become weak to the weak. Right? I'm getting ahead of myself for the series. But Paul's like, that, the message doesn't change, but the way that you and I deliver, deliver the unadulterated message, that can change. That can shift. And so he goes through this teaching through chapter 8, chapter 9. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10 real quick, please. Almost done. Good. 1 Corinthians 10. Please. Yes, you can eat this. Talks about the weak and the strong. A lot of the stuff we've just been in in our series. And he summarizes this, his reply that he's been given in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. He's just been waxing eloquently. Look at verse number 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do. So in other words, no matter where you're at on the side of the fence. Remember, don't be lobbing bombs each way. No matter what you do, whether you're going to eat, whether you're going to drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles. Now listen, what is Paul saying here in this context? Guess what? If you're with the Jews and you're going to act like a Gentile, you're going to offend them. And if you're with the Gentiles and you're going to act like a Jew and you're going to require Jewish things, you're going to offend them. So here's what Paul's saying. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And as you're doing it, don't be offense, offensive to the other sides, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things... Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be what? Saved. For the gospel's sake. So how did Paul use his own liberty in Christ? Well, you go back to our text, verse number 19, For though I be free from all men, man, I'm not here just to please you. I'm going to share the message of Jesus Christ. Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. He saw his personal liberty, his personal desires, what you like, styles that you like. And he saw those things as something that could be adapted for God's glory and for the salvation of many. And so that's where we're headed in this series. What does Paul mean when he talks about, hey, to the Jew, I'm to the Jew. Basically, to the Gentile, I'm the Gentile. And to the weak, I'm the weak. That's where we're going to begin to flesh this text out and look at it week after week after week so that you and I can get an understanding of what it means for the gospel's sake. And I so desire that you pray for me as I pray for you that we would never change the message. But the means in which the true message can be delivered that can adapt. And listen, as that is adapting, if that adaptation doesn't meet your desires and your wants, and this is what I've always ever known, that you and I can say, hey, wait a minute. It's not about me. I'm for the greater good, the proper way to be pragmatic, not just change the message to what they would like, 
But instead, keep the message biblical, strong, rich, and true. But I can deliver it in a way that is a little bit more where they can hear it than you and I are willing to kind of take a back seat to all the things that we've ever wanted, where we make what we want the only way. Listen, that's idolatry. And that's what that gentleman was uh, saying there. We okay? All right. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into uh, our new series of the sayings from the cross. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for giving me just the courage to teach it and to preach it here uh, with these folks that are here. I pray that, God, you would use this in the weeks to come. I pray, Lord, that I would only say and see from Scripture, God, what you know that our church can handle and need right now. And God, I pray that you would literally just guide it and direct it in the weeks to come. I submit, God, to your sovereignty. Lord, I don't have some end goal in mind that I would like for our church to be. Instead, Lord, I want you just to literally take this from week to week and allow the listener to be spirit-filled in a fashion to where they can understand it. Give the courage where courage is needed. And Lord, I pray you bless our 11 o'clock, our worship. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that is not feeling well under the weather, Lord, I pray they would feel the liberty to stay home and not feel like they have to be in church. And then, Lord, I pray for those that are on their way. Get them here safely. Help us to worship you and to um, just love on anyone that's here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll take about a seven-minute break. You're dismissed.